As I just talked about with the children, our second reading today comes from the prophet Micah, the sixth chapter beginning with the first verse. Let us listen once more for God's word. Micah speaks saying, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, God asks, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Bala, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. What shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before the Lord with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon title is, What's on Your Rear End? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, quiet our minds, open our hearts, give us ears to hear. Speak to us, O God, through your word that it might indeed stir something within. Send your spirit, O God, indeed, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing before you. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I have a friend who goes around taking pictures of bumper stickers. He lives in Asheville, North Carolina, which is sort of the perfect place to live if you are into bumper stickers because you just have to step out your front door and they're about a dime a dozen. He has collected over the years so many pictures of bumper stickers that a few years ago he published a book of them. And he titled it, What's on Your Rear End? In this book are stickers that say things like, everyone is entitled to my opinion. Are you following Jesus this close? There's a big orange one right in the middle that says, despite the high cost of living, it remains popular. (laughs) 
It's never too late to have a happy childhood. Uh, don't postpone joy. And my personal favorite, I may be old, but I got to see all the cool bands. <laughs> right? What is it about bumper stickers? This friend in the front of his book, he explains that one of the reasons he loves bumper stickers is because they seem to help people who have something to say find a voice to say it, which is true. And yet, just as bumper stickers can be funny and inspiring and thought-provoking, it occurs to me that they can also be angry and threatening and hateful. Just last week, I was having lunch with someone in the village, and I walked out the door to find a bumper sticker there saying that all people who think a certain way suffer from mental illness, which I found to be a bit disparaging both to people who might think that way as well as people who suffer from mental illness. There are other stickers, we've all seen them, ones that not so subtly imply violence against people who maybe don't hold your particular viewpoint. Now, I have nothing against bumper stickers. I've never done a walkthrough of the church parking lot on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but I suspect that if we all got up right now and walked around, we would find a variety, you might say, representative, of course, of the variety of people in this room. I sometimes wonder, though, if bumper stickers might do more to distance us from others than unite us, right? Who here has not pulled up to an intersection and as you slowed, noticed a sticker on the car next to you that doesn't quite fit your worldview and you come to a stop and you do the look through the side window <laughs> and you draw conclusions about that person despite not knowing a single thing about who they are or what they've gone through or where they're from. I sometimes wonder if the voice that bumper stickers help us find is not always a healthy one or even a faithful one. Even the aspirational, thought-provoking ones I sometimes find myself wondering, do those actually ever leave that person's bumper? Anyone ever met someone with a don't postpone joy sticker on their bumper and you interact with them and they strike you as being perhaps the least joyful person you have ever met? How many examples like that are there of words on our rear ends of our cars that never quite translate to lived reality, that just sit there like hollow words. Frankly, that seems to be the heart of the issue for God in this reading from Micah. Micah is a prophet who lived some 700 years before the time of Christ, 8th century BCE, and during that time there are two kingdoms. The one in the north has been sacked by the Assyrians, the regional superpower. And as a result, there have been refugees fleeing to the southern kingdom where Micah lives and works, called Judah. And it is in Judah that Jerusalem is situated. 
And with this influx in population during Micah's lifetime, there's this kind of urban revitalization happening. There's a beautiful temple there in Jerusalem, and it is packed every weekend. For the first time in anyone's memory, the religious and civic leaders of Jerusalem are dealing with this thing called a budget surplus. There's all sorts of activity. People are doing well. The stock market in Jerusalem, it's had a banner year. But Micah seems to sense that something is wrong. To understand what Micah thinks is wrong, you have to back up in his short book to the second chapter, where in my study Bible, there's a header above that chapter that says, decrying social evils. And it's in that chapter that Micah lays into Israel. He lays into them for their exploitative land practices, for these policies that they have set up for themselves that generate wealth at the expense of the poor and the vulnerable. He calls them to task for saying all the right things, for going to church, for tithing, for giving to charity, for talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Micah looks around and he essentially sees a nation of people driving around with a peace, love, and happiness sticker on their bumper, yet who spend their days making everyone else's lives utter misery. And so here in this chapter that we visit today, Micah transports Israel, transports us to this metaphorical courtroom where creation itself is the judge. Is the imagery in the first few verses not astounding? It is as if the wind quiets in the courtroom. And the rocks, the foundation of creation, it hardens under our feet. And the trees bend in as God begins to speak. And we hear God's voice almost like that of a parent who is at their wit's end. Any parents here know what that feels like? And God asks Israel, what have I done? Tell me, how have I burdened you? God proceeds to list all of the saving acts that God has done for them down through history. All the way back to Exodus. Was I not the one who rescued you from a land of slavery? All the way through the wilderness. Was I not the one who guided you to the land of milk and honey? Down through the list of Israel's enemies, was I not the one who rescued you time and again from those who would conquer you? And Israel, perhaps with a tinge of guilt in their voice, responds to God in the courtroom in the way children respond. Okay, how can I buy my way out of this? If I clean my room, would that help? How about the playroom, if I tidy that up? God, what if I offer you calves? Would that do it? Or what about a ram? Rams are, are the choicest of sacrifice. 
with 10,000 rivers of oil. Oil is currency in this time. Would that do it, God? Okay, what, what about my firstborn, the ultimate? God, would that get us out of this bind? They're religious, one commentator observes. But Israel's idea of what religion means is far from what God hopes for them. And what does God hope for them? To walk the walk. To not rest until the most vulnerable amongst them are treated fairly. To love others with God-like love. The word here translated mercy for us, it's that word hesed that we've talked about before. It's, it's a word that defies explanation, and yet the closest anyone's come to defining it is the love a parent has for a child. A love that cannot be broken. Love others, see others, God says, even and perhaps especially those different from you, those with the sticker you can't believe is on the bumper of the car next to you. See them how God sees them, as worthy. What does God hope for Israel? God hopes for them to step, not out in front, but rather in line with their maker, with their savior. You know, a few years ago, I uh, found myself pulling off I-40 at the exit marked Black Mountain, North Carolina. I was on my way to my happy place, which is Montreat, North Carolina. To get to Montreat, though, you have to first cut right through downtown Black Mountain. And right in the center of town, there's this intersection with a stoplight that can just drive you bananas. Because you can sit there for two or three cycles and not get through. I found myself waiting in one of these lines on this particular journey to Montreat. And I looked in the line next to me and uh, parked on the other side of the street was this late model Toyota Camry, maybe. And it was covered in bumper stickers. Black Mountain's not far from Asheville, in case <laughs> you're wondering. The side windows, the back window, the bumper, I mean, covered. And I began, as I sat there in the line, to draw a picture in my mind of the type of person who probably drives that car. And in God's infinite sense of humor, I was wrong. Because out shuffles an older gentleman with his suspenders and his flannel shirt. And he walks up to the back of the car and he leans over the trunk and he begins scraping away one of the stickers. And as soon as he finishes scraping it away in his other hand, he presents a new sticker <laughs> that he had just walked out of the hardware store on the corner with. And he proceeds to smooth it into that new space. As the light turned green, I had two simultaneous thoughts. The first thing I thought to myself as you know, I wonder what are those things on my heart, on our hearts, that most need peeling off 
what are those things that all of us are driving around with on our spiritual rear ends that we know God laments? Anger? Fear? Fear of the other? Fear of conflict? Fear of prejudice? Some belief that we know deep within ourselves does not actually hold water. Greed, selfishness, self-centeredness, a constant consuming thought of how big and how great and how successful we can be. What are those things that we're all driving around with that we need to just stop? And scrape off. And the other thought I had in the same moment was, you know, I wonder what it would look like to replace that space we create with the words of Micah 6. What would it look like for us to live lives where people mark us as disciples of Jesus Christ, not by our religious fervor, not by how full we can make the sanctuary on Sunday, not by how good we are at quoting scripture or even finding scripture. Y'all are lucky there's slides because Micah is a hard book to find in the Pew Bible. Where people mark us as disciples of Jesus Christ, not by how convincing we can be that God is on our side and not yours. What would it look like for us to live lives where people mark us as disciples of Jesus Christ instead by the ways we advocate for the poor? By the ways we practice kindness, all of us in all things. By the ways we demonstrate humility in these times when pride seems to be the ultimate prize. What would that look like? Because after all, what does the Lord require of us but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God? Friends, what the Lord requires of us is our very lives. All of it. You know, if we were to do that tour of the parking lot, out in the back you would find my car, and there are two stickers on it. On the left is the St. Simon's Presbyterian Church sticker. We got lots of them if anyone wants one. And on the right is the logo of that happy place of Montreat, North Carolina. But there are other stickers there, ones you can't see. Ones that we all have, I think. They come in all shapes and sizes and colors. They mark the places that you love, the causes you care about the quotes that inspire the people we believe in, the wisdom that we aspire to live by, those things, in other words, that we hope might communicate to others as we go about our daily lives, a little piece of who it is we are and who it is we follow. 
They're all there. And yet, I'm beginning to wonder to myself if maybe there's not room for one more. How about you?